What a Sunday of football, ladies and gentlemen. Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast here with the Week 10 Roundup Edition. Thank you for being here. Glorious, glorious Sunday. Upsets, sterling performances, and we'll get into it throughout this entire episode. The blurbers who covered those games will hop on with us. Do want to remind you, we'll have another podcast on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week, so go and check those out. Don't want to waste any more of your time. Again, even if you are fading in your fantasy leagues, and hopefully you aren't because you're listening to these shows each week, stick with us on these Monday wrap-ups through week 17 so you know exactly what you're getting in case you do miss any action each and every Sunday. All right, let's get into it right now. In one of the surprises of week 10, the Tennessee Titans at home beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The Tennessee Titans improved to 5-5 five and five now, beating those Chiefs 35-32, to 32, dropping Kansas City to 6-4. and four. John Daigle had that game for us. Daigsy, I don't mean to just say, like, how did it happen? But how did it happen? It seems like it mainly occurred because the Chiefs' run defense, which we questioned heading into this game, gave up 188 rushing yards to Derrick Henry to go along with two touchdowns. Which is a disaster, right? Because you need to be able to cover the run and stop the run when it comes to cold football, which is what we're approaching. And the Chiefs clearly can't do that. 8.5 yards per attempt allowed to both Tannehill and Derrick Henry combined. Uh, Henry, just massive. And then it kind of showed and flashed how leaky that defense was on the final drive because down by four, I believe, with Tannehill driving after the Chiefs botched a special team snap that gave the Titans one last possession to march the field. Tannehill's first play was even a drop back and then scramble for 17 yards because they just can't cover the run. And as you said, it's, it is definitely concerning moving forward here. Let's break down that situation a little bit more because I believe the Chiefs were going for a field goal. It was a missed field goal uh, because of a snap or the, the, the holder wasn't ready for it. So instead of going and winning by like six points at that time or five points at that time or whatever it was, he throws it to absolutely nobody along the left side of the line of scrimmage, intentional grounding on the holder. And then out of nowhere, Ryan Tannehill, who's only started a couple of games so far this year, has like the biggest moment of his career and leads a game-winning drive against one of the best offenses in the NFL. And I would say he's been really good in three of four of these starts now. He wasn't good against the Chargers on film, at least, but his numbers still suggested he was because he had so much garbage time and put up a great fantasy performance. But the fact is... He did score twice here, but he only threw the ball 19 times because they didn't need to throw the ball. And I don't want to send it back to one play, but really the Titans won not only because of that final drive that Ryan Tannehill mustered and basically single-handedly won after throwing a 23-yard touchdown to Adam Humphreys, uh, but we can point to Damian Williams' costly fumble that Rashad Evans ran back for a touchdown that pretty much sealed the win early on. Hmm. There was a lot happening here. Uh, we'll just close out here with the Titans. 
I mean, only 146 passing yards by Ryan Daniel to go along with those two touchdowns. And like that one to Adam Humphreys to say that, which was a 23-yarder, but it was 225 rushing yards. That could really, really come back to bite the Chiefs as we move on into January football because defenses do matter, right? Especially if you absolutely suck in one area of stopping the run. And that's been the Chiefs for a handful of games so far in a row. But without Corey Davis, like we said, there was no real passing volume here. Tannehill only attempted 19 passes. So like A.J. Brown only saw four targets, caught one for 17. Johnu Smith saw six targets, caught four for 30. I mean, the leading receiver was Khalif Raymond, who had a big play of 52 yards. I'm not saying that like this is necessarily a passing attack we are that invested in as moving forward. But really, Daigle, it's super unpredictable. And, yeah, that's what makes it so disappointing because A.J. Brown, like, this should have been his coming out party, but really he had two bad drops, was overthrown on one of his targets, and uh, his 17-yard catch didn't come until eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. So even though he is super talented and Corey Davis's absence vacated five targets per game that someone sort of soaked up, the fact is is that this is not a passing team. And over the last three games, it's actually Jonu Smith who leads the team in that span with 18 targets. So while Delaney Walker's out, really you can look to Jonu Smith as a tight end one streaming option until he comes back. But the thing is, what does that give you? It's like four catches a game. I don't know. I mean, my curse is just on for players when I say I wish they want more volume. In this case, it was A.J. Brown. And I'm not saying he's got a lot of volume, but two drops after having a few more earlier this year. It just absolutely stinks. To be um, fair, one yeah. was underthrown and okay. he hit the ground trying to catch it. But he did come up with it and then kind of rolled away and the ball rolled out of his hands. So, so, so 19 do? attempts, passing attempts for Ryan Tannehill, 26 carries. Then you look over on the chief side of this equation, 51 passing attempts, including that one by Justin Colquitt, the holder, to go along with 25 carries. I mean, that's 76 offensive plays versus 45 offensive plays. The, the Chiefs put up a, a huge numbers. Like across the board, it looks like they did very well. Patrick Mahomes, 36 of 50, 446 and three touchdowns. Damian Williams even had 77 yards on the ground. Tyreek Hill went bananas. 19 freaking targets, 11 receptions, 157 yards and a score. Dago, does it really come down to the Titans had that one major defensive play where they scored a touchdown off of it, and the, the the Chiefs just couldn't overcome that in the end? I really think so, because the Chiefs were just marching down with ease, but the Titans were just so efficient on their limited plays. Uh, Patrick Mahomes even overthrew Tyreek Hill running wide open down the middle of the field. It would have been like a 70-yard touchdown, but he still hit him over the top often, He still hit him shallow often because Tyreek Hill, there are so many plays in this game when you go back and watch it that caught the ball, had two defenders in front of him, and then just broke free. Somehow split the defenders like he's dribbling a ball in between them and splitting the pick and then just running forward for an extra 10 yards. Uh, He looked amazing. Patrick Mahomes also looked incredible. Didn't even seem bothered by the simultaneous ankle injury he had before he dislocated his kneecap. Uh, I have a feeling his play, his 63-yard touchdown to Nicole Hardman, is going to make your Wednesday column because he hopped up on his left foot and threw the ball bo- threw the ball across his shoulder to McCole Hardman roaming free like 20 yards out. And then, of course, Hardman, all he did was hit the afterburners and break like 10 yards away from the closest defender within a second span. It was awesome. I mean, he just looked like he moved 
at a different speed than everyone else on the field. And that is rare to see across the NFL. Uh, yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, like 20 something days back from a, a dislocated kneecap and he plays like this. We saw that it was a surprise before the game, Daigle. We were sitting on set for Rotor World Live that LaShawn McCoy was inactive and this was by choice. What did you see from Damian Williams? Did he have any costly turnovers, fumbles again that made us a little bit concerned that he could hold on to this bell cow role that he has now again with 19 carries? Then he also had five receptions. I am skeptical of the initial report that LaShawn McCoy was scratched because they are quote unquote reserving him for the a playoff run. But whatever the case, Damian Williams out touched Daryl Williams 24 to 3 in this game. And since that third quarter fumble that ultimately rendered Sean McCoy to the sideline two weeks ago, Damian Williams has handled 45 touches to Daryl Williams six in that span. So he's quietly become a bell cow. Now, a lot of people are going to look at that costly second quarter fumble that may have sent him to the sideline and may get LaShawn McCoy active next week against the Chargers on Monday night. And perhaps that is the case. But the fact is, Damian Williams still came out after that fumble and played nearly every single snap and finished the game playing nearly every single snap. So I think it's as simple as if LaShawn McCoy is going to continue being scratched, which we can't really project, I I would like to think that's what is going to happen moving forward, then Damian Williams has suddenly become a bell count by accident again. What else did you see? I mean, the Chiefs actually got into somewhat field goal range in the last seconds, then had their field goal blocked. Sammy Watkins got nine targets, absolutely awful for just five receptions and 39 yards. Um, I mean, even Tennessee after this day goal, like they have the Jaguars, they have their Colts, which could be maybe coming back for that game. The Oakland Raiders, like there's a chance. I mean, there's no team that is more hot and cold than the Titans. But again, over those last, what, three or four games that Ryan Tannehill has started, they have three wins and just one loss, and that loss was against the Panthers. And as I said, he's been pretty good. So for fantasy, they are clearly matchup dependent. Like, you're going to start Derrick Henry as a high-end, low-end RB2 the rest of the way anyways, uh, and you wish he was involved more in the passing game. But the receivers, unfortunately, it's just far too sporadic to trust on them. Uh, Jonu Smith, as we talked about earlier, tied in one streamer the rest of the way, although low end. And for Kansas City, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is back. So, yes, Sammy Watkins got nine targets. They were nine shout- They were nine ugly targets underneath. And it's debatable if his biggest one, like a 20-yard opportunity downfield, was dropped or just overthrown. But either ways, if you're starting Sammy Watkins, you know what you're getting. A high-ceiling WR3 who has a potential to lead his position in fantasy points, but also bust in a moment's notice. But the good thing is Travis Kelsey back, 775 and a touchdown, and a 16-yard touchdown negated as well for Tyreek Hill's holding penalty. And obviously, Tyreek Hill back in the saddle with Patrick Mahomes fully healthy. Uh, You are starting all your Chiefs the rest of the way as well. Yeah, the Chiefs, like we mentioned, are 6-4. and Uh, Chargers, Raiders, Patriots, and Broncos next. It's not necessarily a lock for them to make the playoffs right now. They certainly are still a fun team to watch, but that run defense definitely needs to step up. It was a Sunday full of surprises and maybe one of the biggest. The Atlanta Falcons beating the Saints on the road in New Orleans 26-9, just the second Falcons win of the season and the second Saints loss of the season. Uh, Ian Hart, it's got to spend Sunday at home today. So Ian, I will tell you this, just a drive or two into the game, I was sitting in the newsroom saying, wow, the Saints are super talented. They're super balanced. 
How did they only put up nine points in this game? How did they not put up more points against an atrocious Falcons defense that was able to sack Drew Brees six times with one of the better offensive lines in the league? You said it, man. It was the sacks that really were the difference in the game. I mean, that's the most sacks Brees has taken in a game since 2013. First time in the Drew Brees-Sean Payton era that they were held under 10 points at home. So definitely, I mean, this was as big of an outlier game as you come up with from this offense. But it really was just the constant pressure. I mean, the offense, like, it wasn't like they continually shot themselves in the foot of mistakes. They didn't have a turnover. And see them only have nine points uh, with that. Obviously, uh, you know, it was weird. The running game couldn't really get going. But then again, you know, Kamara only had four carries. Murray had five. It was a mix of pressure. And then especially in the first half, the Falcons just did a really good job controlling the ball and kind of keeping the ball away from the Saints uh, for especially most of the first 30 minutes of the game. So disappointing performance by the Saints. I mean, there's no other way around it. They only scored nine points. But with that said, I think in future weeks we'll see them do a little bit better job protecting Breeze and we'll see this offense get back on track. It seems like they still ran a lot of plays, like 46 attempts for Drew Brees plus Taysom Hill, but only 11 carries. Um, I mean, it's not like this was negative game script, like significantly throughout. The Falcons were up 13 to 6 at halftime. Did the Saints and Drew Brees and Sean Payton just refuse to run the football? Because, I mean, it's not like they were getting shut out there. Like you mentioned, Alvin Kamara, 24 yards and four carries. Latavius Murray, five carries for 12 yards. Just wasn't part of the game plan. Yeah, it, the first half really was interesting, man, just because, let's see. I mean, yeah, like all their drives in the first half, except for two, I think, were about six plays or less. So they just they just really didn't have the chance to keep it going. Then we did see them just really lean on the passing game in the second half. Alvin Kamara played 52 snaps. Latavius only had 16. But with that said, I mean, you got the impression watching the first half that in a more neutral game script or if the Saints could get ahead, uh, we would see Latavius more involved in this offense moving forward after how well he played uh, in the last two weeks. So unfortunately, next week they're playing the Buccaneers who have you know, one of the best run defenses in the league. So I'm not sure if that would be the bounce back game for Latavius Murray in terms of just hoping for weekly flex production. But I do think generally down the road, we're going to see Murray get double digit touches more weeks than not. All right. A couple more notes. Uh, ex- exactly who you expected on the Saints. Michael Thomas, 14 targets, 13 receptions, 152 yards, like week in, week out. He's ridiculous. Jared Cook seems to keep being involved. 10 targets, six receptions, 74 yards. Let's talk about this Falcons team. Uh, Matt Ryan, 20 of 35, 182, two touchdowns and interception. That didn't seem like a lot, but with Devontae Freeman going down with an injury, I believe he was ruled out, 10 carries, 38 yards. Brian Hill stepped in, 20 carries, 61 yards. The Saints defense is fantastic. What was this Falcons offense able to do to put up 26 points? Yeah, they just really leaned on the run game, and Matt Ryan wasn't making a habit of, you know, sitting back, taking deep five or seven step drops you know he was getting the ball out uh pretty quickly the whole day and that's what kind of helped him only get sacked once and more or less you know consistently move the ball because again we didn't see a ton of explosive plays uh from this offense julio got loose for a 54 yard catch where um i believe it was eli apple or pj williams i was guarding him they kind of ran into their own guy so almost like a broken coverage and other than that though they didn't even have a play to go for uh, over 20 yards so hmm. uh really again it was just efficient football all afternoon and again i mean the saints then turned the ball all over so it wasn't like us there's sloppy play on either side of the field but it was just two good quarterbacks not really making mistakes and 
consistently moving the ball. It was surprising to not see Julio or Ridley have bigger games just because Marshawn Lattimore actually had a thigh injury and he missed pretty much the last 45, uh, you know, last three quarters of the game. So they were pretty much leaving Julio with Marshawn Lattimore, which was a little bit surprising after they uh, bracketed him for most of last season. But either way, the Saints held up pretty well. I mean, look, it wasn't a good performance, uh, you know, giving up 26 points, but this still is a pretty solid Saints defense, I think, more weeks than not. And this just happens, right, throughout the NFL season. Like, no team's going to be perfect for 16 games. We saw it a couple weekends ago with the Packers and the Chargers. We saw it today with the Chiefs and the Titans. Um, it's here. I mean, the Saints had won six straight prior to this. Now lost the Falcons, and they go on the road to face the Bucks and the Panthers, and then the Falcons again. So I think we both still believe that the Saints are one of the best teams uh, in the NFL. All right. Real quick, I think you said that perfectly because I am not worried about the Saints moving yeah. forward at all. I mean, they're going to be okay. All right. Um, you had another interesting game. Uh, the Miami Dolphins win their second straight. The <laughs> Dolphins are on a win streak. They go to Indianapolis and beat the Colts 16-12. to I got to be perfectly honest with you, Ian. I didn't watch a single second of this game. Obviously, we, <laughs> we, we did learn that despite practicing, Jacoby Brissett was going to miss this contest with an MCL. He might miss week 11 as well. And from everything I was seeing streamed on Twitter, uh, Brian Hoyer absolutely sucked. He was 18 of 39, one touchdown, and three interceptions. I thought the Colts' game plan would have been, hey, we have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Why don't we just run it down the Dolphins' throats? Was that kind of abandoned when they went down 10 points in the first half? So it's interesting because game started, first Colts drive, Hoyer actually gave him, they probably should have scored. I mean, he put the ball in Ebron's hands, but um, I forget what the defender was, but Ebron got the ball ripped out of his hands in the end zone for a Miami interception. And they really couldn't get anything going uh, the rest of the afternoon until like the fourth quarter as far as the passing game was concerned. The Dolphins just really seemed to be able to load up the box on Marlon Mack and company in the first half. They did start to get the run game going in the third quarter, though, and it looked good because, you know, it was some of those gains where Marlon Mack and like the entire offensive line are getting 10 yards downfield and you really thought they were about to take over but they just didn't really stick with it and you know when Hoyer's throwing 39 passes and only completing 18 of them I mean it wasn't I mean he was making mistakes and he just wasn't even efficiently moving the ball so even a good even a good run play here or there they just couldn't keep it going with the passing game so pretty disappointing man I mean like you wonder how the Dolphins can actually be winning these games when they're trying their trying their hardest to lose and I you know it seems like they got the wrong quarterback here they would have been better off having Brian Hoyer on their sideline and Fitzpatrick over in Indy look man I know I'm a big swag Kelly defender but if Bursette's out again I don't know how you can keep putting Brian Hoyer out there he just doesn't add anything in terms of off script plays he's continuously kind of late on throws he only took one sack but he just he's, he lets a lot of plays die off at the first reason there it was not good to see. Marlon Mack did have 19 carries for 74 yards. Eric Eram was the team's leading receiver. I think there was a report this week that he approached Frank Reich and said, hey, I want to be more involved. Well, he got 12 targets, 12 targets. Didn't he fumble away a touchdown basically as well? Yeah, like I, like I was saying, he had, the first drive of the game, he had the ball in his hands in the That's end zone. Scott ripped out. <laughs> That's not good. You mentioned that the Dolphins are trying to lose. Like, I think from a big picture perspective, they probably like aren't in favor of winning necessarily. But like from a Brian Flores perspective, he wants them to try their best and do their best, and they've done that these last two weeks. And now with awful teams across the NFL and the Bengals and the Giants and the Jets and the Redskins, like they're kind of in this maybe no man's land area for how they want to pursue pursue the future. 
Um, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, like you said, he like has his highs and lows. But even in this game, he did have a rushing touchdown, but he was still just 21 of 33, 169 yards, an interception. Kalen Balage had 20 carries for 43 meaningless yards. I'm still kind of stunned that they were able to do this with just 16 points. Yeah, they're playing hard, man. And yeah, when I say they're trying to lose, like the front office, office is trying to put a product on the field that will lose games. But it's not bye week. I mean, Flores has them coming to play every Sunday. They had the near loss to Redskins. I was on, came down to a two point conversion. They played the Bills and Steelers pretty tough until, you know, they kind of wilted uh, in the second half. And then we got two straight wins against the Jets and the Colts. I mean, I know wins over the Jets and Colts are anything to hang your hat on. But at the very least, I think it's a good sign, you know, in this rebuilding uh, project where, again, you know, it, it wouldn't be surprising to see the Colts finish two and 14, but it at least does help the team morale for small stretches to get a win like this. And the Colts, well, we know what the Dolphins are going to do. They might win one or two games, but we don't need to talk about their future. The Colts, on the other hand, are 5-4. and four. They hopefully will get Jacoby Brissett back for Week 11, but we're not exactly sure. They are on a two-game losing streak, losing to the Steelers by two points, losing to the Dolphins by four points. And now they have an in-division matchup, multiple of them, Jaguars, Titans, Texans, back-to-back-to-back. So it's a big, big stretch here for the Colts. And a game, I think, that had a 52 total heading into it. The Bucks and Cardinals combined for 57 points with the Bucks winning at home 32-27. Patrick Darty had that game for us. Patrick, what stood out for you on the Bucks side of this? Because you had Jameis Winston throwing for 358 yards. You had Peyton Barber seeing 43 yards compared to Ronald Jones. So on and so forth. Lay it out for us, Pat. Well, first off, the road to the under appeared to be paved with field goals early. So that was uh, very kind of them to actually hit the over, give us some fantasy points, give us some real-life points if you're into that kind of thing. Um, the Bucks' passing attack, um, it was one of those games to me, or at the end of the game, you know, I watched the whole game, and I'm going through the box scores, and I'm like, how did Jameis Winston have this many yards? Right. Because, yeah, he just didn't have – there weren't any big plays today, really. There was like a 27-, 26-yard catch to O.J. Howard – where he dropped in a really nice throw over the top, but weren't any big plays to Mike Evans, weren't any to Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin looked a little banged up. Um, he just threw a ton of passes. He spread the ball around more than Jameis Winston usually does today. I think at least five people had three catches, maybe four. Um, and it just weren't a lot of highlight reel throws. His mistakes still stood out more. Uh, then his good throws, uh, his first interception, he let the DB run Chris Godwin's route for him. The second interception, he sailed it over Chris Godwin's head. Uh, he tried to fumble. Um, this wasn't a, it wasn't a great game from, from Jameis Winston, in my opinion. Uh, but the numbers just kind of like magically appeared at the end. I did mention that Ronald Jones had 11 carries for 29 yards. He did have a touchdown on there and he also had eight receptions for 77 yards like we hadn't seen ronald jones be using the passing game at all and he wasn't this and speaking of people who had disappeared this season oj howard oj howard had seven <laughs> targets four receptions 47 yards and a score seems like a weird game all around it was a weird game and let me tell you about the definition of a mixed day uh ronald jones uh he had a rushing touchdown and like you said eight catches for 77 yards which it should have been like some of the greatest news of the entire fantasy season. You know, if Ronald Jones starts working in the passing game, well, he's an RB2, maybe with RB1 weeks. Um, but one of his final receptions, he fumbled the ball all by himself. Uh, the rare untouched NFL fumble. Uh, he was like trying to like re-secure the ball after a catch and committed then a devastating fumble. And then on the next drive, it was lo and behold, 
undead zombie Peyton Barber getting the work and getting a goal line carry and a touchdown. So just when it seemed like maybe Ronald Jones was going to kind of take the next step in fantasy, uh, he definitely uh, propped the door back open from Peyton Barber at the end of the game. You've heard about non-contact injuries. Well, we have non-contact fumbles. Uh, DK Metcalf had one earlier this season, and I guess Ronald Jones had one today. Pat, on the Cardinals' end, there was a lot of excitement happening here. Kyler Murray finished 27-44, 324, three touchdowns and an interception. Uh, th- all three of those touchdowns, all of them, went to Christian Kirk, who even like started kind of slow, but ended with 10 targets, six receptions, 138 yards, and again, those three scores to go along with that 69-yard long reception. Yeah, well, and the 69-yarder was a touchdown. Um so today was probably uh, – he had one game earlier in the season sort of comparable to this statistically, but statistically an eye test. I mean, today was the best Kyler Murray has looked all year. Uh, his first touchdown to Kirk was a 33-yard like just like laser uh, where he hit Kirk perfectly in stride. The 69-yarder, he had him – could not – both times, this, the definition of in stride, found Kirk in stride down the sideline the big play that, you know, kind of we were wanted from this offense all year and just had not been getting. And then for the second straight week, this one wasn't a touchdown, but a big catch and run to Andy Isabella. So it just seemed like, you know, this was a great matchup, as we know. The Bucks, maybe the worst pass defense in the NFL. But uh, un- unequivocally, Kyler Murray's best two-game stretch of the year and a passing offense finally kind of maybe getting rhythm, finally kind of getting comfortable down the field, pass protection, maybe improving a little bit. And, uh, you know, a Cardinal, it's a daunting matchup for week 11 in the 49ers, but Kyler just had a great game against the 49ers. So maybe we could really kind of get uh, this big time Kyler Murray fantasy run. We've been waiting for all season. And Andy Isabella did have 78 yards of his own. Larry Fitzgerald had 71 yards. You know, Pat, there were points in the season where, Kyler Murray was mainly throwing like horizontal more than vertically. Like today yes. he did throw more downfield and you talked about the Bucks defense. The secondary has been bad. The running game has been quite good. And they were again today. Like we talked about wanting to play Kenyon Drake and maybe even a little David Johnson. Well, Kenyon Drake had seven or excuse me, 10 carries 35 yards. In fact, Kyler Murray outrushed him because of a long run of 32 yards. And then David Johnson just like doesn't look right, which makes sense coming no. off an injury because he had five carries for two yards and one reception for eight yards. And that was his day. Yeah. I referred to David Johnson in the Roto world headline as immobile. Like he just he basically didn't look like he should be a part of the 46 man roster right now. Like he is really gutting out. I mean, it was the ankle and he was the back before that. He, he seems to just be really gutting out some stuff. And you know, it's like you said, it's a good run defense, but he did not look right. It wasn't a great day for Kenyon Drake, but he looked a lot better than David Johnson. And then, of course, you know, the great unknown with Chase Edmonds and the hamstring injury and what could be a three-back backfield in Week 11. Uh, I, I would say knowing what we know Sunday night, Monday morning, I would maybe not count on starting David Johnson uh, hmm. in Week 11. And there was a moment before we move on this game at the end of this contest where the Cardinals could have driven for either a tying field goal or a game-winning touchdown. And, like, all around, it was awful. Like, Kyler wasn't playing well on that final drive. But, like, what Cliff Kingsbury did, like, there was a first-down conversion with, well, I don't know, if maybe it was heading into, like, it was going into fourth down. That's what it was. With, like, a minute left on the clock. He has a timeout in his pocket. But instead of saving those 30 seconds, 
he elects the play clock to run down to like 33 seconds, the game clock to run down to 33 seconds, and then they convert the fourth down. But it's like that management was absolutely awful. Yeah, letting it run down, it seemed intentional. Like it was one of the more bizarre moments I've seen in the season. You had already left the NBC newsroom. I am in Connecticut this week. And uh, the reaction in the newsroom, to put it mildly, uh, was puzzled. Because uh, they were even on like their side of the 50. They weren't even on the other side of the no, 50. It, it made quite literally no sense. Uh, no one, I don't, th- hopefully there was a miscommunication there or something. Because that was kind of, you know, that was like almost like old school, like Colin Kaepernick clock management. Like we did this word, it seemed like no one yeah. had any clue what was going on with the clock. And yeah, a, a game where Kyler had not made almost any mistakes. Uh, I, I don't know if that was his fault or that was Cliff's fault. Uh, that was a very, very tilting moment if you were starting him in every league, as I have been every week all year. <laughs> and I know this is just a joke, but like Cliff coming from college football where he thinks that like, you know, the, the clock stops after every first down. <laughs> that certainly doesn't happen in the NFL. And you mentioned I mean, that Kyler doesn't make mistakes. I mean, he threw the, his interception for like the first time since like week two or week three this week. So he did. And it might not have been a pick, but Trent Sherfield fell down. It, it was it. not a good throw. Like it was by no means a good throw. But it might not have been a pick if Sherfield had not fallen down. It might have just been an incompletion. All right, Pat. The other game you had, the Cleveland Browns against the Buffalo Bills. The Browns at home won 19-16. They were 2-6 and six entering the game. The Bills were 6-2, and two, and the Browns were favored. They were favored by, I think, 2 or 2.5, two and, and they won by 3. Uh, but, Pat, it kind of seemed like a game. Like, no one really wanted to win. <laughs> like, no. It was just a lot of bad <laughs> football going on. No, and I mean, most people have probably heard the statistic by now because it was one of the more awe-inspiring stats of the day. But in the first, second quarter, uh, there was a span where the Browns ran 12 straight plays. Maybe, I can't remember for sure, I think maybe all 12 were from the one and did not get a touchdown. Um, Just like one of the more futile moments not, not just in football, one of the more futile moments you'll ever see in life. Like, it (laughs) was just... Human existence? Yeah, like, it was like... just like a sobering reminder of like yeah. human ignorance and frailty. Like yeah, it, it was, was me getting dumped in fifth grade by Catherine Romer and then <laughs> Freddie Kitchens not knowing how to call one freaking play, fourth and one at the goal line, 12 times in a single half. Yeah, I mean, he was running when he should have passed. He was passing when he sh- It was a master class, basically, and how not to score. And they succeeded. They did not score in that stretch. And, it, you know, in a more just world, it would have been the difference in the game. Uh, but they some I'm not really sure how the Browns won. I wouldn't have really been sure how the Bills had won if the Bills had won. But I, yeah, watching the game, I just wasn't sure how either of the teams were going to win. Yeah. Um, and the Browns did somehow. Let's talk a little bit more about this Browns. Uh, you know, lots of talk of Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, he's had some moments this year, a lot more bad moments, some offensive line, but a lot of it is because of Baker Mayfield. He did finish today, 26 to 38, 238 two touchdowns we knew that the bills run defense was going to be bad and nick chubb ran over them for 116 yards Uh, it certainly seemed like it was a priority to get odell beckham involved 12 targets just five receptions for 57 yards what would you say of the browns offense today well josh you know it's this in november it's week 10 and you know it's veterans day like we're getting we're getting near the home stretch of the season of the year getting into the holidays and today was Baker Mayfield's first two touchdown performance through the air all season. Um, just the, he came into the day with seven touchdowns and to just now have his first two touchdown game. I just, it's one of the more bitterly disappointing both real life and fantasy campaigns uh, you'll ever come across. I mean, he looked better 
didn't have the yips today. Uh, maybe played within the offense a little more. Like you said, the Brown, the, the Bills run defense, uh, you know, struggling right now. But the pass defense is still solid on paper, and he didn't kind of he kept his wits about him. He didn't seem to so often. He's kind of like departs from reality this year. And it was a better performance in that regard. Uh, early in the game, though, first play of, from scrimmage, Odell Beckham actually had a step on Tredavious White, and they just didn't hook up, and they just couldn't connect. And then after that, White had Odell Beckham's number for almost the entire day. He did commit a DPI on Beckham in the end zone, but so they, it's you know, the committing to Odell Beckham really hasn't been the issue. There's been a pretty strong commitment to Odell Beckham, kind of manufacturing targets for him over the past four or five games, and it just hasn't been happening. I don't know what it's going to take for it to ha- – so he's drawn White's attention, which freed up Jarvis Landry for a million targets, which has kind of been a theme this year too. And I just don't know what it's going to take to get this connection going because commitment has not been the issue. One more note. This was the first exposure we had to Kareem Hunt this season. He had four carries for 30 yards. He also had nine targets in the passing game. Yes. Seven receptions and 44 yards in the air. What kind of usage can people expect if they have Nick Chubb on their roster or if they don't, or if they have Kareem Hunt on their roster or if they don't? I mean, we have to say Nick Chubb's an immediate PPR flex, don't we? I mean, to catch, you know, to me, they've had all year to think about how they're going to use Kareem, uh, Kareem Hunt, and the way that we're going to use them is nine targets right off the bat. And it makes sense, I guess, in a way, for a team you know, lacking weapons behind the top two receivers. Um injuries and disappointments and they need another guy like that and it's kind of an element that has been missing kind of uh, jarvis landry i guess you consider a weapon in the uh the short area of the field but a weapon they can use on screens and you know explosive change of pace runner too i mean obviously he's still an explosive right even though we're talking about him as like a third down back cream hunt's just an explosive all-around player and he's an immediate ppr flex but i do worry uh, you know what it's going to mean for Nick Chubb and the Browns this week have a short week matchup with a Steelers defense that's just looking ferocious and if you have Nick Chubb out here getting 11 touches in a game and that's a big big role um, I, uh, can Nick Chubb remain an RB1 for really tough matchups like this one and the Steelers like is this backfield going to be big enough for two players I really don't know and it's a shame because he had yet another Nick Chubb, 100 yards, three of his past four games, four of his past six. Uh, you know, just been a legitimately elite runner this year. But I think you do have to question now how he's going to fare in some of these tougher games. When you talk about the Bills offense, Josh Allen, 266 passing yards. Um, he did have 28 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Devin Singletary, a player that we kind of thought might be more of a feature back moving forward, just eight carries. Uh, and he had three receptions for a total of 50 yards. What did you see out of the Bills' offense? And again, this team was kind of struggling to like maintain consistency on both sides of the ball, and it was to the tune of just 16 points today. Yeah, I don't. I, I, frankly, I I need to like rewatch the game or read deeper into the game because it was another thing when I was watching it. Like, I don't understand. Like Devin Singletary only untouched Frank Gore 11 to six, and but he outgained him like 50 to 12. So again, remained the more efficient more explosive player on a per touch basis. And I don't really know what, I don't know what the plan could have been for that to be how the bills deployed their backfield. Cause it didn't make sense on paper. It didn't make sense in practice. And yet, you know, here we are again with this, uh, the bill, I know the bill, Josh Allen, you know, his whole 2019 fantasy case was built on spiked weeks. And today you, you had the one half of the recipe. You had the two rushing touchdowns, uh, 
But the Bill, the Bills just have not hit big plays in the passing game all year. And Josh Allen remained a strikingly inaccurate passer today. He had Isaiah McKenzie wide open for what could have been a 70 or 80 yard touchdown and just hit, didn't hit the pass. And he just, he hasn't had, I don't know if he had a single spiked week all year. He's just not making plays in the passing game. Uh, he has a, another great gorgeous opportunity in week 11, a matchup with the dolphins. But to me, I just, he's Josh Allen has somehow against all odds become like a floor based QB two. When it's just basically the exact opposite way I would have drawn up Josh Allen's value for 2019. Unsurprisingly, the Ravens went into Cincinnati and beat the Bengals 49. Yes, 49 to 13. This was basically a showcase game for Lamar Jackson. Like I was seeing clips because this wasn't a good enough game to show up on Game Pass. But him throwing darts to Mark Andrews at the top, from him throwing darts to Marquise Brown down the field, for him utilizing spin moves like Michael Vick era 2003 Madden football. I mean, what Lamar Jackson did today seems stunning. It really was. And I mean, you nailed it. It was it was like playing Madden. Like there was no stopping Lamar Jackson. We kind of knew it coming in. Um, his last two games get the, against the Bengals. He had like 120 rushing yards and 150 rushing yards. And just the Bengals don't, don't have the defensive weapons to even come close to stopping him. And then the first play, Marquise Brown got deep, like a 50-yard catch. And then it was on. He had two easy touchdowns to Mark Andrews. And then he had the highlight of the week, maybe even of the season, of him busting up the middle, hitting hitting circle and juking literally like six defenders to the ground and then busting off for the long touchdown run. I mean, there are so few quarterbacks that can do what he's done like in NFL history. So um, something to watch. And while he might not have felt pressure all the time in the pocket, some of his throws were still very impressive, right? Like he was releasing them from multiple different arm angles and it was to the tune of 15 to 17, 223 and three touchdowns in the air. Basically a perfect day. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what he—he's he, starting to throw inside the pocket. We are—we already knew he can go outside of the pocket, but um, if he starts really dialing it in, I, I think everyone was kind of underrating his arm like throughout the entire process. But uh, he's like really starting to hit his stride. If he keeps up at this level, uh, the Ravens are going to be contending for an AFC Championship. And there was even one play where Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, and Robert Griffin were all in the field at the same so time. So great! It was a triple option. That down the field, Lamar pitched it back to Robert Griffin, and it gained 12 yards. And Robert Griffin did have some run in this game because it was an absolute blow-up. But uh, it's just fun to see the creativity that Greg Roman throws out each and every week. Yep. Yeah, I think – I mean, it's got to be the first time three Heisman winners have been in the backfield at the same time. Uh, So, I mean, I would be down to see that again. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it was – it's funny looking at these – I mean, again, the Ravens didn't have to throw the football – but like Marquise Brown obviously had his 80 yards. The next three names, Nick Boyle with 78. Mark Andrews with 53 and two touchdowns. Hayden Hurst had 20 of his own. Um, and sure, Mark Ingram got his 9-34 and a touchdown. So I guess on the Bengals side, um, it was Randy Finley's first start in place of Andy Dalton. This is the Bengals coming off a of bye week. And what Ryan Finley did was 16 of 30, of 30, 167, one touchdown, and one interception. I saw a few of his mistakes and they were absolutely glaring. Were there any positives you could take away from it as well? Well, he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. I mean, it's 49 to 13, and the Bengals finished with 40 carries and 30 pass attempts. So they were like <laughs> clearly not trying to win. So I don't know what to do with this. Um, 
Ryan Finley, I, I think his upside is pretty capped. I think he's just getting some burn just to make sure that he's not some Minshew performer down the stretch. Um, but yeah, he, he wasn't really taking that many downfield shots. He had that bad pick six to Marcus Peters on the out route. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's Ryan Finley, like boring name, boring team, like just like a whole lot of meh. So it's absolutely wild that you pointed that out. I mean, again, they were down 49 to 10 in this game, yet Joe Mixon has it 30, 30 carries. carries. Like they are the ones up 49 to 10 in this game. That's preposterous. That's wild. That's ludicrous coaching to basically not even try to come back from, sure, an insurmountable lead, but that's just like, okay, let's go home. We've had enough of this. And another thing that made me laugh about the Bengals today is they ruled out Giovanni Bernard on their Twitter, like ruled him out, and then like a couple minutes later, he was back on the field. So it's just like, I don't know what to do with this Bengals organization, Um, but it looks like Mixon's going to be getting a lot of carries down the stretch. It's probably the biggest takeaway is I don't think they're going to ask Finley to do much, so... um, I think 20 carries for Mixon moving forward is definitely possible, yeah. like regardless of the score. Ravens are seven and two. The Bengals now fall to zero and nine, and they really might be the worst team in the NFL. Like they had that first half against the Seahawks that was relevant, that was good, and since then they've basically been absolute garbage. And it makes you wonder if there is a win in sight for them. I mean, in three games they play the Jets. In six games they play, or five games they play the Dolphins. I don't know, man. Right now, this is the most uncompetitive team in the league, and I just apologize to you that you had to watch it. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. There, and we'll see what AJ Green does. There's, I mean, there's no reason why playing. he would. Yeah, there's no reason why he would come back. All right, the other game you had was exciting in a weird, odd way. Uh, the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers at home <laughs> beat the Los Angeles Rams seventeen to twelve. Now the Steelers are five and four. The Rams are also five and four. Um, it seemed all like defense. We should talk about the offense, though, since this is, I guess, a fantasy football-based podcast. Um, Mason Rudolph, 22 of 38, 242, and a score. And that touchdown went to James Washington, who's the team's leading receiver. Seven targets, six receptions, 90 yards, and a score. Yeah, I mean, this was – I mean, the defenses were fine, but it was it was more of the offenses just both looking really bad. Um, Mason Rudolph kind of continues to be like a, more of a game manager and it's kind of working. Um, James Washington was the best receiver. Juju wasn't very involved. He was, um, getting a lot of Jalen Ramsey and that was kind of a fun battle to watch, but Washington got, uh, a touchdown early and then he had a big play that then he ended up fumbling it. So that was kind of, um, left a sour taste in his mouth, but yeah, Jalen Samuels, that was probably the, the next storyline, not really a NFL running back. Um, he's been fine in fantasy cause he catches the ball so much. Um, but he had three receptions on seven targets. Um, so we'll have to see what James Conner does, uh, next week. And Juju Smith-Schuster, just six targets, three receptions and 44 yards. Um, yeah, they kind of split up that backfield. You know, we anticipated maybe Jalen Samuels getting like something like 20 touches. He did get 17, but like Tony Brooks, James got six carries. Trey Edmonds got four carries. Trey Edmonds got another two receptions, so on and so forth. Um, on the Rams side, it seems like I talk about this every week, Hayden, and maybe I talk about it every week to you. But I think the people who watched the Rams in 2017 and 2018, either fans or casual observers, thought like, man, this offense is really good. Well, when you really narrowed it down, you realized 
It's because they had a perfect situation to succeed because their offensive line was good and it dealt with very few injuries in a two-year span, which is extremely rare. Now they've had a lot of changes from the offseason and during the season, even in-game because of injuries. And it's not that Jared Goff is like worse against pressure this year. He's just being pressured far more often, and he's not a good quarterback when pressured. Yeah, absolutely not. And then we also had the road splits. Um, and all that shut up. This is a very predictable, poor uh, offensive performance for everyone in, everyone involved. And I think going back to 27 and 2017 and 2018, we're also looking at the, the NFC uh, West wasn't as good as what it is right now. The Seahawks and 49ers are uh, better and obviously the Cardinals as well. So, yeah, I don't really see how the Rams are really going to turn this around. Um, they have all these contracts as well. So um, for like the long term view, it's getting kind of kind of rough uh they don't have very much money um so they're gonna have to knock these picks out of the out of the park really jared Goff was 22 of 41 243 and two interceptions um he was sacked four times hit a lot more than that todd Gurley did decently well 12 carries 73 yards he still just looks slow out there he had four targets and zero receptions which is shocking when you consider what he used to do in the passing game um can we talk about this fake punt that they did? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> because they were in their own section of the field, like at the 30-yard line. And it was like a fourth and four, a fourth and five, maybe even longer than that. And, you know, the Rams lately have been lining up like they're faking it, then spreading everyone out, and then punting it again. But then this time they did the opposite, right? Like they lined it up, yeah. everyone out, out wide, then they pushed everyone in. And for absolutely no reason, they snapped the ball to Johnny Hecker, and he throws it directly at a <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers defender. It's absolutely wild when you think about it. Yeah, it, it, went, it, ended, it ended up going to Trey Edmonds, the running back, for the interception. So I think he has more interceptions than his brother. Um, I mean, just uh, it was a ridiculous play. It was kind of uncalled for. I mean, I get with the offense struggling this bad, you kind of have to take your shots. But I mean, just I mean, just really a ridiculous play. Um, he got hit when he threw it. It was just. There was no reason for this, and this was like a couple plays after um, Bortles had to come in for a play because Goff left on another ridiculous pass attempt. So, <laughs> dude, it, it I was... mean, it was it was a really rough like three minute stretch, uh, and it just kind of got worse. <laughs> Not to pile on Jared here, but there were a couple plays. Like there was one where he was staring down the field, and as soon like as something clicked in his head, like oh, I shouldn't throw it down here, he turns to his left without looking. And throws the ball yep. backwards for a nine-yard loss. And then this other one <laughs> that you're talking about where he got hurt, he elects to, oh, I'm not going to put two feet on the ground. I'm going to jump up in the air, get like hit low, and try yep. to throw the ball at the same time. And he has to leave with a hip injury at the same time. Um, do want to give major credit, major credit to the Steelers' defense. They're playing extremely well. Bud Dupree, TJ Watt, and especially Minka Fitzpatrick. What this team has done with Minka Fitzpatrick in, in that trade has been exceptional. Like, they've on a four-game winning streak now. I think he has, like, five interceptions and in, in seven games played. He's making a real difference all around defensively for this team, which really is a defensive-first unit. Yeah, and he partially played into it. They've been really bad against the slot for like years now and then cooper cup today zero catches on four targets um i I would have to go watch uh the game again to make sure that that mika fitzpatrick was actually doing that but um i mean just all around the ball he had picked up a fumble for a touchdown tipped passes i mean he's he's been playing out of his mind it's almost to the point where 
the that trade who I thought it was going to be a really bad trade looking back where the Steelers were. Yeah. It's looking not so bad right now. Like I, I think they probably I would have rather had the pick, but um, I mean Minka's playing like one of the best um, defensive backs in the league right now. And even in negative-ish game script, Daryl Henderson just four carries for four yards and no targets, and somewhere John Daigle weeps. I'll take the Packers winning twenty-four to sixteen against the Panthers at home as a solo part of this episode. Uh, look, Aaron Rodgers' numbers were kind of pedestrian. 17-29, 233 yards. There's not many of those like individual throws that you can point to and say, wow, this one completely changed the game. He, ha- he did have some ridiculous chemistry with Devontae Adams along the sideline, just like perfectly placed passes that a lot of people across the league cannot do. It was the Aaron Jones show, though, especially near the goal line. That's what proved to be pivotal in this game. He had 13 carries, 93 yards, and three touchdowns. Jamal Williams also had 13 carries, took those for 63 yards. You know, right before the half, the Panthers had pinned the Packers near their own goal line and out of his own end zone on a third and I think 10 plus Aaron Rodgers had to get rid of the ball quickly, took two big hits and actually an awful, awful call by the officials that said Jared McCoy landed on Aaron Rodgers, with his body weight, which in fact he landed on the side that gave the Packers a first down. They drove down the field and with the final play of the half elected to try instead of kicking a field goal to find the end zone. And they came up short, but the Panthers did have a chance to come back in this game. And a lot of it, and you're going to read a lot about this, how tough Kyle Allen was, how he hung in there in bad weather. Yes, it was snow. It was absolutely beautiful, majestic. Some might say, and he gave them a chance. Sure. Yes. He was 28 of 43, 307 yards, a touchdown, and an interception, but I'll point to two other plays. One was a fumble missed snap where Kyle Allen put on the ground and the Packers recovered it. And two, a interception in the end zone on a different drive. Well, Kyle Allen threw it to double coverage and it was tipped and then picked off by another defensive back. That's not to say that Kyle Allen had a bad day. That's not the case at all. In fact, Kyle Allen has improved quite a bit this year. Um, mainly in the face of disruption, in the face of pressure. Remember back against the Houston Texans, he had three fumbles in one game. The Panthers still won that game, but he had three fumbles. Well, now you're seeing him look a little more comfortable in the face of a pass rush, a little more comfortable in the face of disruption and finding the open areas and then looking down the field. DJ Moore has certainly emerged as his top target. Nine receptions, 120 yards on 11 targets. Greg Olson had 98 yards of his own. Curtis Samuel, we didn't see as many vertical shots in this one. Eight targets, four receptions, 35 yards, and a score. And no matter what, Christian McCaffrey keeps it going. 20 carries, 108 yards, and a score. And again, down eight in the waning seconds of this game. He did have like a two- or three-yard plunge to try to get in the end zone. Greg Van Roten, the left tackle, missed his block, then tried to pull Christian McCaffrey, literally pull him across the goal line. Didn't happen. Didn't work out. Panthers lose, again, by eight points. And this Packers defense is one to worry about. You know, they have individual players. Preston Smith had a big game. Zadarius Smith had a big game. Kenny Clark had his moments, and he's playing more snaps than basically any defensive tackle across the league. You know, you have Kevin King, who's talented. Darnell Savage, who's talented. 
just as a unit, as a whole, it's not coming together right now. There's a lot of coverage miscues, a lot of coverage mishaps. That's a major issue. That's a major issue when you're going to face good teams, good clubs as the season progresses. But as we said right now, the Packers are 8-2 and two, and the Panthers drop to 5-4. and four. In the Battle for New York, which I guess is also New Jersey, the Jets beat the Giants 34-27. to Anthony Costa had that game for us. Anthony, this is another game I really didn't get to watch very much of. Let's start on the Jets' side of things. Sam Darnold, 19 of 30, 230 yards, a touchdown in the air, also a touchdown on the ground. It kind of seems to be a rhythm here where the Jets have a well-scripted first drive that ends in a Sam Darnold touchdown. And then after that, things offensively can go up in the air a little bit. Yeah, tail of two halves on Darnold. Completed his first seven passes. Jets went no huddle on their first two drives, but really nothing after that. The takeaway is just he needed to have a clean game, eight turnovers the last three weeks, and really some face plants in there. So I think he needed this. You look at the schedule, Darnold's got the Redskins next week, Bengals, Miami. They have an AFC West matchup. So he's got some favorable spots. Darnold, I think he's got a chance to turn around the narrative the next few weeks. Jamison Crowder also had like a big first couple of drives, then nothing. Six targets, five receptions, 81 yards, and a score. Demarius Thomas was actually the leading receiver with 84 yards. I mean, Le'Veon Bell got a 22 touches, but that resulted in just 68 yards. And a t- well, he did have a score, so I guess that is worth something, but a f- long carry of four yards. Is something up here with Le'Veon Bell? Like, does he just kind of look lethargic or unhealthy? I know he was kind of questionable heading into this game. Really another letdown for Le'Veon, average under two yards per carry. Spent most of the game running into his own lineman. Um, he had a goal line touchdown, and he caught a few passes. That saved him. But I think Le'Veon's really been misgassed in Gase's scheme. Uh, it's a lot of double teams, a lot of zone runs. He's got the matchups the next few weeks to turn it around, so I'm not selling him. But I don't think he's a great fit, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's just more of the same. All right, uh, a couple more. Chris Herndon had his first game, two targets, one reception, seven yards. Robbie Anderson, just three targets, one reception, and 11 yards. Let's, let's look at the Giants' side because we talked about Le'Veon not getting a lot on the ground. Well, Saquon Barkley had 13 carries for one yard. Yes, again, not one yard per 13 carries, one total yard with a long run of three. Were the Jets just selling out? to stop the run, which I guess allowed Daniel Jones to go 26 of 40, 308 with four touchdowns. Like what, what was going on with Saquon's day? Yeah, there's some stuff to get through on Barkley. Uh, obviously his worst game, just no running room. Uh, you know, giants were missing three starters on the offensive line. Um, Barkley also got blown up on the block that led to the fumble six, uh, really outside of the Cardinals game. He's done nothing. Um, yeah. Since he returned, uh, his pass game uses has saved him at least five catches the last three weeks. Barkley hasn't looked fully healthy to me. He went for X-rays after the game, so that's something to monitor. I think the bye week comes at a good time for him. Darius Slayton continues to show something like something's really there with him. Uh, Fourteen targets, ten receptions, 121 yards, and two touchdowns in the absence of Sterling Shepard. Once again, Golden Tate even had a long run after catch for 61 yards. Eight targets, four receptions, 95 yards, and two touchdowns on his own. We got to talk about Daniel Jones here a little bit. 
uh, Anthony, because again, 308 yards and four touchdowns reads really well. But if I can be cynical a little bit here, he entered this game in eight starts or in eight games played with 10 fumbles and added another three fumbles again today. This is a fumbling problem that Daniel Jones has. He hasn't lost all of those, but it doesn't matter. He's putting the football on the ground. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've been lone wolfing Jones really been the high guy on him. I think he's looked a lot more polished than he gets credit for the yeah. turnovers. I get that. I get that. Uh, he's made some questionable decisions and he's taking a lot of sacks, but at the same time, the giants have a ton of injuries. All of his receivers have missed time. Evan Ingram can't stay healthy. Um, you know, as I said, the offensive line, Nate, Nate Soldier left with a concussion this week. Obviously, the Jets are, are a game he should look good in. Uh, their defense hasn't been that bad, but this was a good spot for him. So I think he's trending up two of the last three weeks. He's looked great. I think he's capable of big games like this, and I think his problems are fixable. I mean, just to, I mean, just to go into kind of what you said on Jones. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he made some nice throws here. The, the nice. first touchdown to Slayton was a dime. Um, made some throws under pressures. He took six sacks, but the takeaway for me is that he doesn't let the pass rush get to him. The Jamal Adams strip sack that was returned for a touchdown. That was that was Jones looking downfield on that play, and, and for me that's a good thing. And, and I know that sounds like an apologist take, but really I would rather have him oblivious to the pass rush than have him seeing ghosts. And I think he's just doing it with a very weak supporting cast. Anthony, I think that's really fair. And I've been talking about it basically every week because it kind of is the same system every week here for Daniel Jones. Where there's, And this is what makes me a little nervous, and maybe you disagree. At times, there's a little too much like Jameis Winston to his game, right? Where he can be a bit lethargic at times with his decisions, and those can result in turnovers, either with interceptions or with fumbles. But then like he completely forgets those mistakes, responds exceptionally well and makes like has stretches of the game where he looks very good. So right now it doesn't seem like though, as a rookie, he's going to eliminate those negative spots and those negative moments. But if he does, then there can be something for a sustained game that can be really, really promising. And that's, that's where I am. Um, I, I think that like with Jones, he's, he's not like, um, a deer in the heads light, which is kind of what I thought some people would expect with him. But, you know, there are flaws to his game, and I think they're correctable flaws, but I think at least in these favorable spots, you know, the Detroit game, he looked great. He's at least playing the matchups, so that's what I like about Jones. I like that he, the arm talent's underrated, and I like that he makes throws, you know, he's decisive when he does make his throws. The Chicago Bears went at home 20-13 to against the Detroit Lions. Metro Trubisky, 16-23, three touchdown passes. Jesse Pantusco, lay it out for us. Yeah, this was one of Trubisky's better weeks, obviously. I wouldn't get carried away, though. The Bears still punted nine times in this game, including on their last five possessions. But Trubisky was riding a little bit of a hot streak late in the first half and uh, bleeding a little bit into the early second half. And, and I mean, he deserves credit. He made some uh, a few really nice throws today, had excellent chemistry with Allen Robinson, threw a really nice, well-placed touchdown pass to Ben Bron- uh, Broniker, who was uh, filling in for Adam Shahino, I guess was a healthy scratch, the backup Bears tight end, uh, and, had, and also did a nice job of leading Taylor Gabriel on a 24-yard touchdown pass where – 
Gabriel was just way too fast for Mike Ford, and Mike Ford was hoping for safety help that never came. So, yeah, and this has actually been a decent matchup for Trubisky throughout his career. Mm-hmm. The last time, the last two games that he's faced the Lions, you know, dating back to last year, he's combined for seven touchdowns, six passing, one rushing. So, you know, for whatever reason, this is, you know, uh, Trubisky has seemed to be Matt Patricia's kryptonite. I just mainly followed this game on Twitter. There were a lot of games going on at that time. Don't sue me. Um, but what it seemed like was the first half, a lot of people still like upset with Trubisky's play. Did he kind of turn it on the second half? And I should mention that Dave Montgomery got 17 carries for 60 yards. Allen Robinson still putting up a lot of production, nine targets, six receptions as a team leader of 86 yards. And again, 86 is a lot when you consider they only threw for 173 yards in this game. Yeah, and Robinson's been consistently excellent all year, you know, regardless of the matchup. And today he he did some tangling with Darius Slay, who we know has an all pro resume. Um, and he, he was great. And yeah, I, I Trubisky took a little bit, you know, it, he wasn't perfect by any stretch. There was one player where he threw a blatant hospital ball that almost got Anthony Miller killed. And, you know, there was a certain lack of precision. And this was a game that the Bears were up comfortably. They had a two touchdown lead throughout most of the second half and really just needed one more scoring drive to put the game away. And Trubisky uh, couldn't do it, couldn't get it done. So that stretch kind of the the final drive of the first half where the bears, I believe 80 of their 101 first half yards came on that, that final drive um, and the, and the third quarter, that's the type of Trubisky that, we saw a lot more of last season when he sort of had his sophomore breakout and, you know, we haven't seen enough of this year as he sort of regressed. All right. On the Lions side, we had some late news that Matthew Stafford was going to miss this game with, I think broken like bone fragments in his back. Um, Jeff Driscoll stepped in. He tried to throw the ball 46 times today, 269 yards, a touchdown interception. He also added 37 rushing yards, the team's leading rusher. You know, a lot of questions, Jesse, heading into this one, or if people should start Kenny Galladay, if people should start Marvin Jones being attached to Jeff Driscoll here. Well, Galladay did have 57 yards and a touchdown, and Marvin Jones did have 77. If you kind of package today's performance and spin that forward with those with that group of players, how would you define it? Well, I, I know Galladay, I guess, put up decent counting stats, sort of salvaged the day with that 47-yard touchdown, which was a really great play by Jeff Driscoll, who sort of looked Mahomesian, uh, got got out of the pocket and just heaved it downfield, and, you know, Galladay beat his man. But that was pretty much the lone highlight for Galladay in what I thought was a very rough day for him. And I'm sure some of it was the drop-off from you know Stafford, who's played great this year, to Jeff Driscoll, a guy with relatively inexperienced guy with only this was only a six career start, so not a ton of starting experience under his belt. But Galladay made several what I thought unforced errors. He had three drops in this game. He committed a, a very costly penalty in the fourth quarter when the Lions were sort of mounting their comeback. There was a, a fourth. It would have been a fourth down conversion for J.D. McKissick. And Galladay uh, was flagged for pass interference, which negated it. And then on the next play, Galladay uh, and Driscoll sort of had a miscommunication. It seemed like Driscoll threw it behind him. 
and Galladay was also the intended receiver on Driscoll's lone interception, though that I would put the bulk of the blame on that one for for Driscoll on a on a screen uh, slant pass that uh, Nick Kwiatkowski sort of sniffed out. So yeah, I, I don't know, and I don't know the length of you know the type of absence we're looking at. This is sort of uncharted waters for. Matthew Stafford, who, you know, this was 136 starts in a row. We haven't seen him miss time in literally almost a decade. Uh, so we know he's super durable and tough and will probably try to play through anything. So I would, but yeah, I think it is, we saw today that it's, it's a definite drop off uh, for, for all involved, uh, all, all the Lions pass catchers uh, dropping down from Stafford to Jeff Driscoll. All right, that's going to do it for us this week in Week 10. Again, we'll be back on Tuesday with waivers and big-picture looks at the NFL. Thursday and Friday, previews, setting your lineups, all that good stuff. Again, if you make it this far in the podcast, consider leaving a rating interview. It helps us out. It's that little box when you look at iTunes and that podcast app. Just take five seconds, ten seconds, write a little something. Leave us five stars if you are so kind. Helps us out. Or just tell one friend. Tell one friend about the podcast and spread the word. All right, everyone. Have an awesome week. Talk to you all soon. See ya.